Good evening, everybody. Mark Williams, who leads us frequently, but we invite in 
professional artists from the community that lead us from time to time, and Tim and his wife uh, are those. Jeff is also one of those as well. And their information, if you want to check out kind of what's going on with him and uh, them and their studio, you can check it out. Some of the information is at the bottom or on the back side of your liturgy for the night. Uh, so we give their website and kind of what they have going on in places. Uh, I'm sure you're going to hear more from them tonight, uh, but it's great to have you all with us. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Mace Way is a community of folks who gather uh, because we've been captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we meet with one another to listen to one another's voices, to read scripture with one another, uh, to learn from one another what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in our city and our local area, uh, but also in uh, the broader world around us. You'll notice this evening, I've got some extra friends with me, even for our regulars, you'll notice that. We've got a lot of people up here. I think the energy in the room, you know, 5 o'clock is always a difficult time. People kind of struggle in. They've been, you know, who knows where, kind of coming off the, the afternoon drum. And then we come in, and the energy level tonight is, I think, quite a bit higher in a good way. So we've got some, some people hanging out with us. One of the things that we're starting, actually, tonight is our children are going to begin to start in service with us each Sunday evening. Uh, when we first started the Mayus Way uh, several, several years ago, one of our dreams was that uh, we would be a community of people who would begin to intertwine uh, our lives and to find ourselves kind of living in each other's lives in a way that our children would not be seen just simply as kind of, oh, just the, the family unit itself is just individualized and lives by itself, but that we would care for one another's kids. And so part of them... Uh, it's been a long time in coming, working on the process. It's still experimental, so you all have to give us some feedback on it and how it goes and how it works. Um, but we're really excited that they'll be starting in here as a way for us to say that, hey, we as a community uh, are raising each other's children together, and we're celebrating what God's doing. Looking forward to the next generation. Having children uh, within the Christian faith, especially in the world that we live in, is a fundamental practice of hope, uh, a sense that, hey... Uh, Regardless of what, what things look like on the outside, we, we are participating in, in, in the fact that God is doing something larger than we could anticipate. Um, so, they're going to be in here in a minute when I get done doing the announcements. Miss Amanda's going to uh, come over here and lead them in a community song. You'll see it on your liturgy there. Please join us in singing. I know some of you are more comfortable in doing that than others, but those of you that kind of know the music... Uh, that you've been here regularly and stuff, please jump in and help us sing it, and they'll, they'll kind of sing with us and then move out from there, um, so that just kind of gives you an idea of what's going to be happening. Uh, a couple of announcements coming up. Uh, Dave Thiessen, I believe, somewhere has an update for us on finances. Uh, yes, yeah, so I know most of you guys, uh, for those who don't know, Dave Thiessen is part of the leadership team here at Maceway, and we just like to give you regular monthly updates on our finances, how things have gone, what the direction is. Uh, just first off, uh, it's always amazing to see what comes in. This is a community, it's a very small community that does not have some giant endowment fund out there kind of feeding us. So what happens here is, is done by our contributions. Uh, so first off, it's just amazing to thank you for what we are able to do. Uh, we are four months into our fiscal year. Our fiscal year begins at June 1st. Uh, so we are four months into that. And uh, year to date, we have contributions of right around 30000 which is on track for where we were last year. Uh, which is wonderful. Uh, October, November, December are normally our largest kind of contribution months, just the way the year falls. So we'll kind of keep you guys impressed with how things are going as we head into that time period. And along those lines, we will also be uh, distributing contribution statements here shortly in the next month or so uh, to give people an update on their giving for the year as you kind of prepare, uh, prepare for the year end and kind of tax thinking and all that kind of stuff. 
So you'll see me again in a month. Give me another Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Um, I know yesterday as well, I can't see him because uh, it's in our way here, the stand, but I know Jim Thomas and Africa Rising had a victory lap, kind of a closure of a page uh, in that life. Some, sometime soon we'll have to get you up to kind of give us the full story, but uh, so hopefully some of you were able to go and participate in that, uh, to celebrate with them the work that they've been doing and also kind of the, the end beginning of, uh, of a new chapter of what's going to be going on in their work. So we'll look forward to hearing that, uh, more about that from you, Jim, uh, in the future. Um, finally, I feel like I'm missing one announcement. Okay, well, if you're interested in getting connected more in this way, uh, we're going to push you a little bit more to the website. Instead of taking up so much time with the announcements, there's green cards out here in the foyer. If you want to pick up one of those, it gives you the address, the website, kind of ways that you can get connected with our community. If you're looking for a small group, if you want to join in our hub group, different things like that. So please head to the, head to the website, check us out, um, and send one of us an email if you want to meet with one of the pastors or one of our staff here. Uh, it's great to have you with us here tonight, and I think we're going to jump into our community song at this point.
Thanks, guys. Hey, it's a uh, Jeff Crawford doubleheader this month. This was nice. It was good to have you guys to have him back. Um, the, uh, one of the things that was nice, I hope you hold on to text. I don't want you to hold on to text for music because uh, uh, Tim et al. invited us into part of the conversation that we want to have tonight is this idea of can you imagine things that are difficult to imagine, like forgiveness, or uh, and, and maybe kind of one of the goals that we have is the importance of, as we talked tonight about imagination, jolting ourselves from kind of the paradigms that we live in. So those were really well chosen kind of, and I think most of you guys know this, we, we choose our music as a way of engaging us in conversation and taking the conversation to spaces that sometimes spoken words don't easily do. So that was very well done. Um, it's good to see everybody here tonight. Hey, I have one more announcement, and then I'm going to let us stand up and greet each other. Um, so, in, get this right, two weeks, correct? So we have an experiment coming up in two weeks. This has hit the radar really fast, but um, we have been invited by uh, a local church in the area, Duke Memorial Church, you know, the, the castle up at the top of the hill there, the, the large church on the corner of uh, 751 and, uh, no, yeah, the Durham Freeway, Durham Freeway and Chapel Hill Street. So they have asked us, to consider moving in with them. So it's kind of like a kind of a date kind of thing, you know. We're kind of like, we don't want to rush this along. We've really only gone out a few times. Uh, but but one of the things that, that and we're not sure what we're, we're going to do about that, but one of the things that we were excited about is, as you can see, uh, as Emmaus Way began um, early on, we had very, very few kids. One of the, one of the, 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 the adventures of doing kids' work here is you might have no kids show up, and you might have four show up, which we never knew, but they're a community that has lots of space uh, for kids, playgrounds, that sort of thing. They have engaged us with things like um, um, a pastoral intern that they're, they that might interface with us, office space, and also kind of a, a space that might involve less logistics, if, that, if that's fair to say. And so we're not sure this is going to work, but they have really, really pursued us in a very generous way and an exciting way, and um, and so what we're going to do in two weeks is we're going to do a trial run in their space on Sunday night. So we'll meet at five as usual. It'll just be up at Duke Memorial, and you know we'll have all the you know directions and all that stuff. I mean, most of you guys have been to Parker and Otis a billion times. It's just you know right up the block from there, and we'll get a sense of the space. One of the things that we're inviting you into is the way we like to do things here is do it as community conversation. And so we felt like it wouldn't be fair just to kind of have a conversation about Duke Memorial without you having been in the space. Dan and I actually did a conference in that space a couple of years ago, so we knew it was a pretty interesting space. But only a few people have kind of walked through. So that's the invitation. In a couple weeks, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, we'll do a Mass Way at Duke Memorial. Uh, it, it'll be different. Uh, there's a lot of stained glass, and the ceilings are what 80 feet tall, or you know, and it's a and it, it is a kind of a, a sanctuary, but it does construct in the round a little bit. So we think we're going to still set up an in the round space, and and you know, it's something that a few of you I'm sure will love, and a few are going to hate. And, we're also going to kind of ponder what it means for life in a man's way. I do want to say this. Um, the, the, the ask is an evening ask, so we're not really contemplating at Duke Memorial at all doing uh, anything in the morning. It would still be a 5 o'clock kind of evening uh, gathering. So that's the invitation. We would love um, people that are – I should say probably tonight – 
Ben, Josh, anybody that's on the lead team, Sarah, Sarah Kane, any, raise your hand if you're kind of a lead team person at a man's way. Uh, there's uh, Sarah. You have to be Sarah kind of at the end. You can toss a cake behind it, but, you know, but being a Sarah helps uh, if you're campaigning. But uh, these are people that you could probably give some feedback and ask questions of. Um, Tim, we're actually, so the so the 20th, right, is the evening that we'll be in the space. Mark will be leading music. We'll have a full service. Then the 27th, that next week, I believe at the front end of that service, we are going to structure some time to actually get into smaller sort of rounds and give feedback in the sort of gathering time. So there'll be obviously informal channels of feedback are all wonderful, and please talk to any of the people who just raised their hand. There'll also be some structured feedback time as part of our gathering the week after we do the trial run. Yeah, and by the way, I should mention, we're not cheating on reality. We, we kind of, even though this came up a couple of weeks ago, we contacted them and let them know that we're, you know, that this ask had come up. And one of the things that, one of the concerns we've had with this space, the only really big concern we've had, is we just have three children's rooms. And there, there may be a time when we need much more than that. Um, so, anyway, that's coming up in two weeks. Love for you to be part of the conversation, hear your feedback, all that stuff, and we'll see kind of where it goes from here. It's, I mean, it's not an official thing from their end as well. They've just said, Will Wilton, who's their kind of interim senior pastor, said, it would be great if you would. You know, and so that's that's kind of their commitment to this at this point. So that's what's up. Uh, please stand up. Uh, greet the people that are around you. Offer peace of Christ if you'd like. Uh, if you're around somebody that you do not know, please introduce yourself. And I'll give us a shout. We'll jump on imagination here in about two minutes. So if you didn't catch like a snack back there, I would strongly recommend uh, Shannon Nelson. Is like, was like, Shannon like our food person? That was so it's some sort of raspberry something cupcake, and then there's some sort of torque meal going on there. So uh, if you didn't get one of those, make sure you do. Uh, and good student is in college. I mean, you guys didn't realize, but he would always get here just as the snack was arriving and put about half of us down. So there's more to go around these days. Uh, but anyway, so there's some good stuff back there. But um, anyway, so tonight we want to talk a little bit about the subject of imagination. And imagination as a, um, a practice related to the reading of Scripture. And if you remember, just you know, two terms that Dan and I have kind of used that I think are, are helpful, at least, in thinking about the life of, of Scripture, the Bible, and the life of the Christian community, but specifically this community. And we've used the term lenses to remind us that we all bring experiences. We all bring lenses to interpreting um, um, what's going on and how we read it. Like, for example, if you turned in the news this week, who is in charge of the government? Who's at fault in the government lockout? I mean, who is clearly has conspired to create that event? Well, the answer to that question is whoever you ask, right? Uh, because everybody that you ask has a different idea about what went wrong. Um, so our lenses, we bring lenses of experience to reading the text. The other thing that we talked about in the last several weeks is the importance of practices. 
that the, 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 the Bible itself and, and our, our tradition was not something that's some sort of abstraction that lives out there and, and, and is, is just a bunch of ideas, but it's embodied in our lives. And so our practices matter. It affects how we read and how we interpret together and how we live together. So the practice tonight that I want to end this on is one of the most important. It's actually one of those. I grew up in a tradition where this would have been absolutely forbidden. You did not bring your imagination to uh, your Christian heritage or the biblical text at all. Imagination is where you got in trouble. And so you, you had a couple of options. Option one was to do as it was written exactly. Or option two was to count the, you know, the, the, the ceiling tiles while somebody else was telling you what you should do. But you did not imagine you did not put your imagination as a part of that reading experience. And I'm hoping today to kind of make a case that imagination is absolutely central to our life as a community. And certainly people who are trying to be part of what God is doing in the world. So let me start you off with this. I want you to imagine a couple of things. I'm going to list four things. And I'm going to pause and read them through kind of slowly. And I want you to see if in the saying of these... A mental picture, an imagination, or a hope comes to mind. Okay? And I'm going to ask you how that went. Okay, here we go. Can you imagine absolutely perfect, unconditional love? Perfect love. Can you imagine this? A world... So dominated by justice, equity, and kindness that you just can't get away with. I mean, get away from it. I mean, you just walk in your door every night and go, I am absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of justice, equity, and kindness. In fact, I was just trying to emerge in the highway and about 30 cars stopped to let me in. Uh, can you imagine? <laughs> Right, can you imagine a way to love your worst enemy? And this might be somebody who tortured you in the fourth grade, or it might be some sort of iconic figure that you want to, I don't know, do something to. Can you imagine a way to love your greatest enemy? one's personal. Can you imagine freedom from an obsession, an addiction, an overwhelming emotion, or a fear that you carry around, or it's maybe a dominant part of your life? An obsession, an addiction, an overwhelming emotion, or a fear? Very successful in getting over my obsession with Carolina football the last four weeks. That, that really hasn't been a problem at all, but uh, I can think of some that didn't do so well. So now, here's my question for you. Was it easy? I didn't give you much time, but was it, was it doable to create? Could you imagine any of those things? 
Tonight, yeah. I mean, the, well, this will be more of a yes no thing. I mean, give me a thumb up. I mean, were you able to kind of do some of those? And then give me a thumb down if you're like, no, not at all. So, kind of mixed, right? Yeah, and, and probably, was it fair to say that some were a little bit easier than others? Was one or two impossible? What was impossible? I think unconditional love was impossible. So, unconditional love, yeah. Yeah. Kindness, equity, and justice. <laughs> yeah, kind, that one, I, I wrote that one down and kind of chuckled a little bit. <laughs> I stopped at kindness and said, oh, it's just going to get more comedic from this point on. But yes, that's hard. Anybody else have one that was just felt impossible? I think it's partially because the kindness, equity, justice, like it's such a beauty pageant answer at this point, like the world peace thing that all I can imagine is like care bears. Like it's just like bright colors and like rainbows and sunshine and clouds and like that's all I can get. Like that's the whole image. That's, that's kind of a gruesome image. <laughs> now here's a question. Uh, this is a rhetorical question. But what does it take to generate those imaginations? And what does it take to generate an imagination of, let's say, justice, equity, and kindness um, that doesn't involve gruesome care bears dancing around or something. I mean, how do you generate an imagination like that? That's, that's probably more difficult than the imagination in itself. Um, Paulo Freire, who is uh, an iconic figure in everything from cultural studies to equity to people who use him in liberation theology. Here's a quote that I, I found. Actually, it was pretty sweet. I found it last night on uh, Jay Cameron Carter's uh, uh, Facebook feed. And, uh, and uh, he's a, a Duke professor uh, in, in black church studies and political theology. And I don't know, he's on your committee, Dan, uh, so you're safe from that. Uh, but uh, this is a, he was quoting Paulo Freire on this. He said, in order for the oppressed to be able to wage the struggle for their liberation. So for the oppressed to wage a struggle for their liberation, they must perceive the reality of oppression not as a closed world from which there is no exit, but a limiting situation which they can transform. So to wage the struggle of liberation, we have to perceive oppression as a reality, not as a closed world that is a given, and it will always be done this way, uh, and from which there's no exit, but as a limiting situation uh, from which we can transform it. Now, you know, in, in my studies and kind of the cultural studies world that we're in, that I'm in as a student, we talk a lot about the absence of imagination. In our world. We, in fact, one of the things that you might have in a conversation, one of the greatest tragedies in the world that we live in is that um, no matter what you're doing, if you're a critical theorist and you're criticizing capitalism, or you are a liberation theologian and you are uh, criticizing uh, 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 totalitarian regimes, uh, usually the, one of the first things that comes out is this idea that part of the reason that we don't do anything about those things is we can't imagine a world without them. We can't imagine, um, a, a, like, if um, Sir Kate, and I know plenty of you guys have studied, you know, sustainability and economics and things like that. If, if that person says, hey, we could 
create a sustainable economic system. The biggest problem that pops out is most people are like, no, you can't. I can't imagine an economic system that would be sustainable and just. Or I can't imagine societies where people are truly embraced as equals. So kind of in that academic world that I'm in, but I think probably in our theological world, we would realize that imagination is one of our greatest voids. We have it's, it's hard to work for something that you can't imagine, right? So this is an important conversation. Let me remind you, kind of in this, this is the last Sunday of this free-for-all series. We've been talking about uh, kind of a way of reading our scriptures. And one of the things that, that I have been, admittedly, giving you a biased perspective on what I think the Bible is. And I basically said, I, I don't see it as an answer book or something that can just be read and understood. It's filled with complications. There are what uh, one theologian has aptly said, there are texts of terror that when people who are in marginalized groups or women or others read these texts, they go, oh my God, I can't believe that's in there. Um, and, and then there are things that we read in the text that aren't that hard to figure out, like love your enemies or things like that, that we kind of go, I don't know if I can do that. Or, or we say, I don't know if I want to do that. So the, the point that I've been making is that the Bible is this kind of abstraction. That's a, a recipe, a rule book, a, a code for life, something that we just have to commit to just reading some and then go do, but it's something that's far different. I use the word incarnate. It's a, it's a text that, that, that narrates a story. It narrates a story of, of the work of God in, in human society, creating and recreating and redeeming. So it's, it's that thing that Dan said tonight that, that we say as a community every week, that we're trying to participate and figure out what act of kindness and mercy God is doing around here and be a part of it. So that's a part of it, what the text is. Uh, another thing is that the text is a fleshly kind of book. I mean, it's not some sacred deal. It is enmeshed in the language and the customs and the, the world in which it was written, right? We use the joke that, that you know, Jesus didn't sit down and explain biology or, or physics or calculus to his disciples. They, they talked about the stuff they talked about, fish and people and the Romans and all the things that were, it, it was very much enmeshed in, in their world. So if, if our text is that, it's enmeshed and it comes to us in a, in a form in the, in the world in which we live in. If it's a narration primarily of God's mercy and work, then why is imagination so important in reading the text? If it's that, my biased presentation of what I think it is, then why is imagination so critical? We were talking about this on the drive on the way over. Is uh, we were 
talking about uh, relationships of our culture with other cultures. And, and there's often a choice you have. Is you hear people's stories and you say, that's my story. <laughs> I'll take charge of that story. Let me tell you what it really means. You know, it's, that's my, my you know, uh, 10 part sermon series on what does it really mean to be a woman? Or uh, what does it really mean to have grown up in the Northeast? Or, you know, things that I can't talk about. That's one way is to say, oh, your story is actually my story. Let me tell you what it means. But the other option is if we very respectfully say that you have stories that have deep meaning, but they're not my stories, they're not my cultural stories, then we have to do some imaginative work to make those stories meaningful to us. And in fact, the, the notion of kindness as a reader almost expects that we are imaginary, imagining people. Why else? That's great. Yeah, sure. So Tim, I don't know if any of us can ex- escape ourselves without imagination. That if without imagination, I have no empathy. I, I, I can't uh, think about the pain that somebody else has or the joy that somebody else has if I can't imagine being in their life and what that must mean to them. I can't escape self. So the very posture of a reader or somebody who's entering another story seems to imply imagination. Jordan, I think you were going to say something too. Uh, we're mentioning uh, priority, uh, the idea that the oppressor and the oppressed relationship, the oppressed has to be able to imagine a framework beyond the current paradigm of oppression, and they can't free themselves without freeing themselves. You have to have that imagination. And what's uh, George, Bernard, George Bernard Shaw has the line that all progress is, belongs to the unreasonable man. So you, to be unreasonable means you have to be outside the current frame of reason. So you have to have an imaginative index to say something else is possible. We have to move forward with this. It breaks that it, the pressure brain breaks all the trends that keep things going the way it has been instead of the way it should. Yeah, those are great points. One more person, I'm going to cut anybody off. Why imagination is so critical to having a fleshly narrated text. Yeah, Rachel, I'm sorry, let's see.
That's great. Thanks, Rachel. That, I think that's really true. Let me, I mean, let me summarize a couple of things that you guys said, which I think are key, is that you know, to have hope, I think we have to be imagining people because there's so many things. I get overwhelmed with that. I, I mean, I cruise around the world, and whether it's just driving around or meeting people or reading the paper, or, and there's many a day where I pause and I go, maybe we should move to Montana and get like a lot of guns and like, you know, just haul, you know, wall ourselves in because it's not good out there. Or, or this is something I can't fix. Or somebody's telling me something that's deeply wrong, some great wounding that has been done to them. And the first thing I want to say is, gosh, that shouldn't happen. So imagining is critical for hope. Another thing that I think is really critical about our text is there's always a tendency to try to freeze the text and, and make it just forever in the moment that it was spoken. Like, for example, I've been reading lots of things this semester that are profound, passionate, scriptural, biblical, Christian, or other religion defenses of the slave trade. I mean, people that were just passionate about having read my Bible, it is clear that the slave trade is a good thing in the world that we live in. And so, without an imagination... We have this tendency to freeze any text and make it just that moment, right? And so if we're going to let something speak to us and take us into kind of a new future, we have to imagine. Now let me invite you, let me invite you to kind of do a little bit of imagination work related to a scriptural text. You don't have it in front of you because it's really short. But this is just three verses from the Bible. But this comes in Matthew chapter 13, and it's actually a litany of stories. And you get the feeling that if you read anything about Jesus, the guy loved to tell stories. And his best answer to a complicated question was usually a story that invited you to engage it, as Dan said, as, as somebody else's story or uh, in an imaginative way. So listen to these three verses. It's two stories about the kingdom of heaven, which is just short work. It's a code for God's work on earth, God's presence, what, what God's up to in the world. Um, here's the first one. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Small seed, planted, grows, uh, nesting plants. One last verse. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all, all of it was leavened. So, what do you think those two little stories about kingdom of heaven, God's work is like a, a seed, a small seed, smallest of seeds put in the ground that grows a great bush or a great, I kind of have this Monty Python image out there, so I won't say shrubbery, but it grows this kind of <laughs> big thing, right? And then, uh, or, or, or it's, it's like the, the, the yeast that leavens bread. What do you think is the point of those stories, and what do you think they're asking for? Usually those type of stories have some sort of invitation to us. They're, they're, we're, we're being invited to, 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 to think about something. What do you think they're about? I think they both seem to be saying that they, you're not thinking big enough. 
You know, like there's some inherent limitation even to the way that you're thinking. Like you're thinking about this little seed and you're not really considering where this is going to go. Or you're thinking about this level, like yeast, but you're not thinking about where it's going. Yeah, so maybe what you're being invited to here is to think of something on a grander scale. Sure. I was actually, I was, sorry, yeah. I was actually thinking the opposite. Like that, you know, living in a community, like engaging on one-on-one relationships is pretty insignificant on a large scale. But like imagining what God, like what God is doing in that in that small scale and how that actually has a much greater effect because of God than we could ever have. So not not think not like we don't even necessarily always need to worry about the bigger craziness that's going on in the world, but what we can do and what and imagining what God is going to be able to do with that. Yeah, I have a friend, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, who says this: you know, a lot of really good things in the world start small and then they get smaller. <laughs> so Ben's talking about grand scale. Brent's talking about small stuff. Uh, clearly. One of the two of them is foolish and wrong. Who do you think is foolish and wrong? Is it Ben or Brett? Brett? <laughs> ben? <laughs> Spouse is way in here. <laughs> so, here's the crazy thing about imagination. Imagination says, hey, there probably isn't a rule book that says we should have thought... Grand scale or small? What if both of those things are really significant points that sit beside each other? So imagination does this crazy thing. It it engages points. It brings possibilities that should be near each other, but we try to keep separate. Great. What else? What else do you hear in this? Sure. Um, I think if you go to a bookstore and you walk around, you'll see like a hundred books on how to get rich or how to or how to eat better food or look better. And I think it's the, um, like the kingdom of God is all about this stuff that people just walk past. They just discount it. And it's like, nobody's looking for it. And then when it's right in front of you, it's like, you know, whatever. That's, that's not worth anything. So I'm just going to discount that. I'm just going to forget about it and go after what's really important which is this next guy who's going to tell me how to have better sex or whatever, and how to fall in whatever, you know. So it's like... Did you get that guy's name? <laughs> <laughs> no. But anyway, the point is, it's like, um, the, um, the imagination is what allows you to think outside of this stream, like, like if all the fish are swimming down the river looking for better sex, you know, how to make more money, how to be popular, how to look like a star, what my desire is doing. Like, and this imagination is that, like, it's like a, another option. It's like, it gives you that little pause to consider this feast. And you're like, this might be significant. Or look at this mustard seed and say, oh, this is pretty small, but I wonder how big the tree is. And it's that thinking outside of the box that allows you to recognize the kingdom of God, which is, I mean, the path to Destruction is wide, and a lot of people walk down into the path of salvation is narrow. You're making a point there that I want to underline. It's a really good one. Is it would be kind of fun to read this and say the kingdom of God is like perfectly fashioned plutonium, and once you find it and you let it out, 
You can pretty much nuke anybody who's around you. Or the kingdom of God is like kryptonite. And if you, you know, I mean, the, the interesting thing about these is that these are very mundane things. Little seed, uh, you know, yeast for bread, things that everybody has. So there's something interesting about that, that, that like you said, it, it might be something you might just walk by and miss. Imagination is the thing that has us walk by something and stop and say, that might be something deeply significant. I know for me, one of the, the, one of the, when I'm overwhelmed by the, the question, what is God doing? And the first thing that comes to my mind is absolutely nothing. Um, usually what's happening there is I've lost a sense of imagination that I'm looking in places where I don't see anymore. I think this is one of the reasons Jesus justified stories to say, hey, you have trouble seeing things, so I might need to tell you a story. Yeah, okay. Stories, I see a common theme of transformation, of radical transformation. That flower is transformed into puppy bread, and that seed is transformed into such a big tree that all these birds can roost in it. And and so that's the kind of thing that, that imagination helps us to, to look forward to, that the power of transformation in Yeah, let's, let's shout out one of our new partners here, Marsha Owen. I love that one. You know, and, and uh, let me make sure I say this right. The, it's using the for the center religious coalition for nonviolent girl. And so I never get that right. But you know, okay, she does stuff crazy, right? She does vigils for people who have been murdered, and and engages people who have lost people. Sometimes they bring perpetrators and and victims together, and it takes some crazy imagination. And when Marsha King spoke here, you kind of caught on to that. That was a woman who was committed to seeing the world in a different way, in a way that we could perhaps be much better than who we are. And, and transformation implies that. It implies that if, if somebody has an idea that we would react to and say it's impossible, there are people who say, no, it actually could be done. I could imagine you sitting down with the person who has wounded you and, and conversing with them and, and speaking honestly and even generatively, even if you're setting a boundary. And so I, I think that's a really good point. Let me tell you how this story ends. So Jesus is telling all these stories. There's a bunch of them. I just picked out two little quick ones. But um, right at the end of these stories, and presumably in the same near location, uh, is how it ends in the text. He came to his hometown. He began to teach the people in their synagogue. And they were astounded. I mean, they were astounded. Like, the wisdom of this person and their deeds of power is absolutely amazing. can't believe it. This is the smartest Person or the wisest person I've ever encountered. This is the most powerful person. But then somebody said, isn't that the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers sitting across the room? And they're not such great guys? Uh, are not his sisters with us? And, and how did this man get here? And they took offense at him. They were offended by his wisdom. They were offended by his power. And Jesus, you know, kind of Threw one out there. This was kind of a little bit of a Twitter bomb. And he said, hey, prophets are not without honor except in their own country and in their own house. Last character. And, and to some degree, what we see here is the failure of this story. is not the story that was told, but that the story was received with an absence of imagination. They just heard this person and said, this is incredible wisdom. 
They just saw things that happened that said, this is deeply powerful. And their reaction to it was, but it cannot be because we know this person. And I know probably a lot of you have been in that situation where you had an idea that something that you hoped for, something that you really, really wanted to do. And everybody around you just said, well, you're not qualified to do that or you don't know enough people to do that. But imagination in some way taps into the possibility of transformation in a way that changes the society that we live in. Um, one of the things I wanted to do tonight just as a parting shot on this is uh, – is to let Jim Thomas maybe tell a story. Um, so Dan said this um, in the welcome. Uh, Jim and Gail, um, and uh, truly Ian and Jordan as well on this, their family uh, kind of did something. Uh, we didn't Africa Rising. It started about 15 years ago. But they started an organization called Africa Rising that, um, that really imagined a different way of doing relationships from the U.S. to other parts of the world, but specifically to the continent of Africa. And a lot of their focus was in East Africa. And you guys know Jim does research in epidemiology and does a lot of research in pandemics, and that was a, a passion in their life. Um, so Jim, a comment or two on this. I mean, one is that you were trying to imagine a new way of relationship. And when you said you were going to do this, millions of people came and said, we would love to help out. We will give you money for this. We will bless it in every way. Now, it was kind of a weird thing, right? Um, but one of the things that was amazing about Africa Rising in the 10 years is that one of the things that you were really committed to do was get people who were imagining uh, new economic, social, faithful solutions and let them imagine together. So I, there's a, I, you told a couple of great stories yesterday. So I wanted you maybe to comment on what is it, what is it like to imagine and then maybe, maybe a story from Africa Rising uh, as kind of the fruits of imagination. And you guys know Africa Rising is in a, a new chapter of its being. They're kind of, it's, it's kind of made its run and it's, it's in an imagination phase of whether it will continue to be. Jim, is that, I'm putting you on the spot. Can you go for that? Yeah, I can go for that. Uh, what I'd like to imagine, it, it can be very lonely to, um, to come forth with a new idea. Particularly, we were trying to find a new way for the West to interact with Africa. And there are some very powerful forces. I have much more respect for those forces now. Not, not their rightness, but their strength uh, than I did 10 years ago. Um, and, and to work against, against them can be a, a very lonely experience. But it can also be a very rewarding, intimate experience when you've got others that are with you doing that. And, and we had that evidenced in part by, last, by, by yesterday when we gathered to close the book. Um, we, we had a, a community to do that. Um, Tim, Tim mentioned that I would... He was going to ask me to say something, so I actually have a couple of words prepared. And, and there's a, there's a book um, called Where Good Ideas Come From, and um, this this book answers all your questions <laughs> about where good ideas come from. No, it doesn't. Um, it mentions in there this idea. It's called the, the the proximate possible. Now, the proximate possible is when I am distraught at the end of my road. And I have coffee with you. And I hear you talking about something in your world. It's not my world. 
it's your world, but I see in that world something that you're doing that I could grab and I could pull it into my world and do something very similar. It's, it's that proximate, possible idea that Africa Rising was built on bringing people together to see those proximate possibilities. There, so one of the stories was that um, there was a, a group of people, a large group of people that came together after the, I think, 97, 98 Kenya elections when there was so much violence and people were pushed off of their farms and their land and formed these large refugee camps on soccer fields because they were the only place to go. And there was a fellow there who said, everybody was given a little bit of money. And he said, it's not much money, but if we pool our money, we can get some big land. So they pooled their money and they bought this large hillside and there were 10,000 tents made of bent bamboo and, and sometimes um, the, the plastic bags from grocery stores to keep them dry. And they, they made this village of, um, of people that were going to hold together until they could seek justice to get new land to redistribute to where they were going to go eventually. When we had an Africa Rising meeting, all the, all the organizations that we networked together came together and we got in a bus and we went out to this, it's called Shalom City. And the, the people who were doing other things in Tanzania and elsewhere in Kenya and Uganda saw this village and it was a powerful experience to them. They were seeing things that they had not imagined before. They may have heard about it in the news, but they hadn't seen it. One person was so overwhelmed that he could not walk with us through the camp. He, he just had to sit down. I'm just going to stay here. When you're done, come back and pick me up and, and we'll leave. And, um, and when we got back to the location where we were having our meeting, the meeting was transformed. It became a meeting of what can we now do together to seek justice for the people in this camp because they've been here for two years now. It's much too long. They need to get to their own homes. We need to figure out a way to get them home. What can we do together? And uh, one of the groups was from Uganda. They had dealt with the Ugandan government and the, and the um, Lord's Resistance Army and, and children that had been held captive and getting them freed by interacting with the government. So they, they said, well, here's what we did. Maybe you can try some of those things with the refugees in, in Kenya. So it, it was by getting people to see each other's lives, to share these ideas, to have that proximate possible, to imagine what they could do and to feel empowered to do it. That's a good story. And there's, uh, there's more. I, I encourage you kind of at, the, at this passing of Africa Rising, if you haven't had a chance to interact with Jim or Gail or the gang on that, ask them some questions about that. I, I'm inspired. It was great to kind of sit in your home and listen to stories yesterday afternoon and be deeply encouraged by that. So thank you. Um, I'm going to leave it. We're going to transition back into to music where we kind of typically do our confession and absolution. And, and I'd love for you to receive the confession and absolution tonight in this way. Is confession, receive it as a, 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 not only as a, a recognition that at times we cut off our own imagination, but as an invitation to imagine. And, and absolution, absolution is a way of, of having that imagination blessed. And, and you know, um, it's a conversation for another time, but um, 
But one of the things that I would love for us to be talking about as a community are what are specific practices of prayerful practices, physical embodiments, creative endeavors, um, uh, risks that we need to take in reading the text in a way that it is deeply transformative to us. And Josh and others kind of lead us once a month in a, a Sunday gathering where we don't do music so that we can in some ways more engage uh, different forms of imagination. And, and that's really part of the justification behind that, whether the night that we did to tournaments where we, we took uh, racialized and hate messages and transformed them into to different messages as a way of imagining that, that speech can be transformed. And so uh, this is part of the practice of this community. And Jim, thank you for sharing more about, uh, about Africa Rising, and we'll, we'll look forward to you know, continuing that conversation. So I'm going to invite these guys to lead us to confession and absolution, and then I'm sure somebody's going to take us to the table. I'm not sure that you did. All right. Thank you. 
this will be the last stuff I'll be seeing for you this evening. This is sung by uh, Tom Waits, one of my favourite. Someone was a song that actually was suggested by the gentleman manager, Josh Busman. Um, from the new variations album, the house where the money lives. And, uh, once again, happens. There's a house, oh, actually, I'm not doing that here. Thank you.
So uh, as a relatively new parent, um, I have realized what is so wonderful about being a child. Uh, the thing that is wonderful about being a child is people will lie to you. I do this to my child all the time. <laughs> they tell you things like, you can be whatever you want to when you grow up. You can do whatever it is. You, you know, the world is your oyster. You can take advantage of every opportunity that can possibly come your way. I think the last time you actually hear this kind of story or this kind of lie is at graduation, maybe college, high school, something like that, where the grand speeches are made about how wide the world is and how open it is before you. But those of us that are beyond that point, people like you and me, we're, we're a little older and we've become realists, right? We've become a bit more skeptical about how the way the world works, about what's really going on and what possibilities are open for us. We're a little bit more realistic now. Because we look at this, these images from Christ tonight, one of the things that strikes me about them is that, I think in a weird way, because we're realists, we take what Christianity is and uh, we twist it into something kind of sentimental where a little man sits in your heart and that's kind of all that Christianity is, and we expect that, well, the world functions one way, but as long as this little guy sits in your heart, that's pretty much all that matters. And there's a sense of withdrawal and escape and kind of jumping off shit because we know that's just not the way the world works. But then we're, we're provoked to come back to Scripture and we read these images of mustard seeds, of yeast, of things that call our imagines, imaginations to expand, to, to work a bit against the kind of realistic or the skepticism that we so often approach the world with. And I have to think for a moment, what would it mean to be shaped as a people who imagine ourselves, who imagine what God is doing in the world, something similar to a mustard seed, something similar to leaven in the bread? And I think as we approach the table, when we talk about the table being a sacrament, it's very much that. That it is in the practice of doing this very simple, kind of not grandiose thing, that there is more at work. That there is a transformation taking place not only in our lives, because we're celebrating with one another what God is doing in the world. But that it is as we come together to do that, that God is actually working in the world itself to do something much larger than what it even looks like on the surface. It requires being a people of imagination, of vast imagination, people of expectation, people of hope. That in some sense, I know, I, I don't know if you felt this way, but in some sense, at the end of a discussion on imagination, you feel like, whew, that, that seems troubling and a bit exhausting. But in a way, in, in a way it's, it's inviting you into an opportunity to see things new, to be energized by the fact that you're not having to do this on your own, and you're not stuck in the way things are. But that because God is at work in the world, there are things going on behind the scenes, things going on in small practices. 
that are ever branching out, ever expanding, ever growing in ways that you possibly could not have foreseen, but could only imagine through things like similes, metaphors, and simple practices that invite us to be a people of imagination, people of expectation, and a people who know and live in the grace of God given to us as a community. At Emmaus Way, we celebrate the open table, meaning all of you are invited to come, break bread for one another, share it with one another, saying the body of Christ broken for you, and to pour wine or juice for one another, saying the blood of Christ shed for you, recognizing that in doing that very simple practice, like a mustard seed or like leaven, that the grace of God begins to expand in our lives, that it grows out, that it branches out, and who knows where it will go from here. Welcome to the table. Amen.